Welcome to Walking with Freya, a journey through special needs parenting. This podcast is a place for parents and caregivers of children with special needs to share stories, the very real struggles and challenges we face, along with the inevitable love and joy these children have brought into our lives. This is a place for unapologetic honesty, well-intentioned laughter, and endless support. A safe place for us to learn, share, discuss, and help each other navigate this often unexpected journey. Be kind, be supportive, and when you can, keep the humor. My name is Annie, and welcome to Walking with Freya. Good morning, friends. I hope you all are healthy and well. I am here. The sun is just starting to rise up over the hills to the east of me to shine onto the beautiful Pacific Ocean to the west of me. And this is the time that I get up now so I can have a little bit of quiet time a little bit of time to myself. I get up, I drink my tea, I write. I've been writing poetry mostly and just kind of start my day before the chaos of, of needs and wants. And I gotta say, this is off the cuff, one take intro here. And thankfully there there is a interview that I will be getting to, but this is not a pre-written introduction. I I'm a few weeks behind on putting out an episode, and for those of you who listen regularly, maybe you you noticed, and I'm sorry if you felt the lack of this podcast. Um, I have sat down so many times to write an episode. I have mulled over in my head all the things that I could say, and... I have not found anything that was adequate, so I have said nothing, (laughs) and I apologize for that, but I am here, as you all are here, and I have a great interview with a woman named Jessica. She is the mother of two small children, and the oldest is on the autism spectrum and the youngest has some delays and some developmental delays and and there's a, a few other things sprinkled in there because you know why not that's how it seems to roll sometimes but she is an amazing woman who has started a podcast of her own it's called thriving in the midst of chaos and Um, That's a great podcast, another great podcast to check out if you're into this, (laughs) if you're into parenting children with special needs, and if you're listening to this, then most likely you are. Maybe you're not into it because it's something that you uh, wanted to do, but, you know, we're all here, we're doing it, we're getting through, and these times especially are... I mean, I, I live in a place, as, as many of you know, I live in a rural area up in Northern California, so I'm actually not even really that um, 
I'm not in the midst of the chaos of of this whole thing. Um, you know, I have a very dear friend who lives in Brooklyn in an apartment by herself and you know, we we talk over FaceTime and we do Marco Polo and I just really feel for her. And you know, I want to, uh, on the days, some days when I'm like just feeling so overwhelmed with the contact of my family and <laughs> all of that, I, I think of, I, I remind myself of how grateful I am to have my family around me to be with. And yes, sometimes they make me crazy. Sometimes it's too much. It's a lot of, it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of time together, but also, I am so grateful to be with them and so grateful to be in living somewhere where we have space and we can get outside and all of that. But um, so, you know, I don't really feel it that way. I don't inundate myself with the news uh, on some mornings when I get up and my husband's awake and he wants to, you know, he listens to podcasts and things all night. So he wants to like he needs to kind of process and he'll have some like new COVID facts or something. And I have to, I have to remind him, um, I, I can't start my day this way. <laughs> this is, it's too much for me. I need to get up. I need to get up, say hi to my dogs, drink my tea because I can't drink coffee anymore because of the, uh, caffeine and its effect on my anxiety, <laughs> which wasn't a problem before all this, but, uh, it is now like many of us, there are so many, so many emotions, so many ups and downs during the day. And wow, it's just, we're all still trying to make sense of this, I think. Um, so the times that I really see it are like going to the grocery store and every time I've been, I've been three times since it's all really started. And I want to cry every time when I leave to see this, this behavior that we have to participate in. And I'm not saying don't do it, like definitely do it. Like, you know, it's, you know, the, the smart people are telling us, you know, to give each other space, wear your mask, wear your gloves, wash your hands for a reason. So yes, I do. I'm doing that. I do all that. And, and I get it. Um, but on like a level of, you know, human emotion, <laughs> it's hard to <clears throat> interact with people that you can't get close to and you can't see their smiles and you can't touch them and you have to avoid each other. And it's just like we're all our own little entities, like walking around the grocery store. And we just, it's like a game, you know, you just can't get anywhere near each other. And uh, I get it for right now. Um, but I also, you know, the way I think, I just, I think, wow, what is this? How long is this going to last? And what is this doing to us that we can't be human in some ways that we can't have these these very human interactions and you know what school on on zoom 
on the screen, seeing your friends on the screen. I mean, I just, I feel, I feel for all of us. And I know so many people have it so much harder. And yeah, I just feel for all of us. And sorry if this is rambly. <laughs> like I said, I just, there was any time I sat down to write this, um, it just, everything just felt too big. So, but I really wanted to get this interview out to you all. I really want to stay connected. I really want um, to know how you all are doing and, and stay connected. So here you go. And this is my raw, cold, open. I'm going to share one more thing with you and then we'll get into the interview. And it's a poem that I wrote. I, um, I've been writing a lot and <laughs> this is a poem that came out um, that I wrote a few weeks ago. I've written a lot of poems, but this one is specific to being a child, being a parent of a child with special needs. And, um, uh, let's see, what can I say while I'm trying to find it on my phone? I should have been a little more prepared, but I also was laying in bed and it's 6 a.m. And I usually get up earlier than that, but I stayed up a little later last night. So I'm a little more tired, but, um, I woke up and I just had, I just had this conversation with you all running through my head. And so I thought it was a good time to get up and just do it. And I hope that you are okay with, uh, me just sharing it this way and not having it written down, but maybe now you're like, Oh, that's why she writes it down because otherwise she rambles. <laughs> okay. I found the poem. <clears throat> It's called Adapting. This new normal, we got this. Like any new normal on this journey. Like giving my daughter a shot every night since she was 11 months old and couldn't even sit, piercing her flesh with the thin metal signifier of medical progress. Like explaining to her once again that her shots help her grow strong like repeating her words as an unobtrusive aside and experience translated to the inarticulation that sometimes spills from her lips. Like waking in the night with the random but heartbreaking realization that she can never go to typical summer camp unattended and devising ways to secretly embed a one-on-one -on -one aid for when she begs to go because her sister, who has the luxury of rolling up her sleeping bag and stealing away for a week with no concerns for prescriptions, diet, injury, or behavior modifications, has already left. Like slowing my pace any time we walk together. Like asking for updated prescriptions of albuterol when a virus attacks the community and getting fresh batteries for oximeter along with a dozen kid-friendly herbal remedies because I've seen her struggle with coughs before and know how to prepare. Like speech therapy on Zoom. These times are calling for us to adapt like we know how to do. 
to dip, brush, to dip brushes into paints we've never seen before, spread them across a canvas that was chosen for us. Sometimes we get bogged down by minute details, anxiety-ridden and grief-stricken over the flecks of paint that have scattered outside our design. They teaching math to a child who can't grasp the concept of numbers. Or patiently answering the same questions because perseveration is a sign of anxiety and so are the tears she sheds under a pillow at night and the lack of social continuity has caused her to feel hungrier than normal and we know it will always be this way for her. And we can lament over the spilled droplets of paint or we can paint petals around them and name them flowers and then step back and see the painting for the masterpiece that it is and we can adapt again as we are asked to do on this journey and we can remember that yes it will change this normal won't be anymore and we will thank its passing and fret the new or vice versa but we will adapt this new normal whatever it is we got this Yeah, so my name is Jessica Temple. I am, uh, for work, I'm a, an adult clinical neuropsychologist, and I also host a podcast called Thriving in the Midst of Chaos. And I have, I live with my husband, and uh, Lewis, and my two children. Benji is four, and he has autism, ADHD, and sensory processing disorder. And Alex is almost two, and he was, he has developmental delays, ADHD and they they strongly suspect that he had a perinatal stroke or an anoxic brain injury oh wow so yeah that sounds intense I interviewed a woman uh one of the first interviews I did and her baby had a a stroke in the womb right that's what you yeah. what you're talking about yeah I didn't even know yeah, that was possible yeah, yeah, it is. And actually for folks who have cerebral palsy, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times it's it's a uh, intraventricular hemorrhage or something like that in the brain, mm. in the belly that leads to it. So for, for him, they're not quite sure if it was in the belly during birth or shortly after. And I suspect that it happened during birth, just given some of the circumstances with him being early and the cord wrapped around his neck and labor being stalled right at the pushing stage for an hour. But I, there, I have nothing to formally back that up, but that's, that's just my suspicion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So luckily he's doing well. Oh, good. Good. So you, and you just have the two little ones? Yes. Okay. And a cat. <laughs> and a cat. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. So you, um, so how have these first uh, four years been going? Like, so you're new to parenting and you get to jump right into, yeah. you know, all of the, so this part of the journey to have. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's been really interesting. So honestly, I, I feel like the first two, two and a half years with, with Benji were, were pretty good. He was always very active, but I always expected him 
to be very active, just given our family history of hyperactivity. Um, but he did have some feeding issues, but otherwise, and he had speech delay, but otherwise things seemed to be going along relatively normally. Then I got pregnant with Alex and uh, it was it was a rough pregnancy. I had very bad hyperemesis gravidarum, and when he was born, we knew immediately that something was not right. So we had to get him into tons and tons of therapy, and feeding was a significant issue, and he was losing tons of weight. And all at the same time, we had just moved. I just started a new job, and Benji had just started a new school when he had been in the same school for his whole life. So we did start to notice a lot of behavior changes and aggression and things like that. So we really ended up having to get both of them assessed and diagnosed at the same time and treatment at the same time. So I would say the first two and a half years were great. And then it was fast chaos because we were all over the place in a couple different states trying to get an actual diagnosis. Because when it comes to autism, there is a humongous delay in actually getting testing. So some places it's a year and a half to two years. And we put in, I think, October 2018, our name on the wait list to get tested at a local place here, and we still have not gotten the call back, and it's now April 2020. Oh, wow. So we ended up having to go, yeah, so we're in Maryland, and we had to go up to New York, actually, to get testing, because there was, it was the only place that could get us in in a reasonable amount of time. So that was actually, I believe, a six-month period which was completely reasonable, sadly. So we got him tested, and then we threw both kids into therapies. So Benji had applied behavioral analysis, which other than during coronavirus, he's still in, and he had occupational therapy and physical therapy. So we were there two to three times a week for him, and we also had different services through the school system. And then Alex was actually in all three therapies, so he was getting therapies two to three times a week plus feeding therapy. <laughs> so we were going places, we were having people come to the house, and it was just therapy, 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 like crazy. So it was really rough trying to navigate that and work and also making sure that they were getting what they needed and making sure they actually had downtime. And also Benji's aggression really kicked up once Alex was born. So we were trying to make sure everyone was safe and that we were meeting Benji's needs as well. Mm -hmm. So it's been a journey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's definitely not the typical parenting journey. And uh... no, but luckily they're, they're both making a lot of improvements. So Alex, other than maybe a little bit of like very slight motor issues, he's pretty much recovered. He ended therapies, I believe in January of this year, and he's doing beautifully. And Benji is only in applied behavioral analysis and his BCBA, which is the behavior person, also is an occupational therapist. So she's working with him as well on that. But otherwise, he was also discharged between December and January of this year. So That's even great. though it was, yeah, it was very difficult for a year, it really paid off in that we don't have 75,000 uh, <laughs> doctor's appointments throughout the week. So it's been much more manageable. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. 
I apologize. Yeah. My cat is ha- is coughing up a hairball in the background. I don't know if you can hear him, but oh no! <laughs> <laughs> oh, podcasting in the time of COVID. There's just like right. Kind of... <laughs> um, I just think it's humorous. It really is, it, and it just shows. I feel like it's kind of a raw, honest version of what our life is like. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. Well, so should we get uh, right into talking about um, what's happening now, now that we're all sheltering in place? And okay. Yeah. How is that going for you? How long have you all in, you're still in Maryland? Yes. How long have you guys been uh, sheltering in place? Is there an official decree? Yeah, a month today, actually. Okay. Yeah. So, so schools closed a month ago today and the decree, I don't even remember. I want to say I read that it was March 30th, but we were already doing the sheltering in place because we all have asthma and that puts us at a Mm. little bit of a higher risk. So we really just did not feel comfortable still being out and about. So we've been home and we, we really cut off all services for Benji, which has been really tough because they were, the, the ABA people, they were actually kind enough to search and search and search and look for somebody who could do in-home services. But we just felt really uncomfortable because we were at higher risk for breathing problems with COVID. So mm-hmm. we ended up turning them down, which, which you know, killed me inside. But I, I really feel like it was the right choice for our family. Yeah. 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 We got to keep everybody safe. Yeah. And you guys are seeing exactly. more of a, um, in a zone. I mean, I'm out in California. We've, we've handled it pretty well, I think. Um, we're in nor- yeah. far Northern California and we've all been sheltering in yeah. place for, for quite a while as well, but we also live in a more rural area. So everybody mm-hmm. has a lot of space. And so, right. Um, which is great. Yeah, it's really nice for one because of spread. It you know it has there haven't been that many local cases, and um, also there's a lot of places to get outside to go hiking, go to the beach, and yeah. not really not come in contact with people. So I feel very blessed to be here, and um, I just think of you know I have my one of my best friends lives in Brooklyn in an apartment by herself, and we do a lot of oh. FaceTiming, and uh, I just feel for her. So have you? Yeah. Have you have you tried any of the therapies over Zoom? Have you done anything like that? Or I don't know, maybe the behavioral yes. therapy doesn't work there. You have? Okay. How does well, that Well, so we have. So the BCBA, and I'm I apologize in advance. I think it's the board certified behavior analyst, I think is what that stands for. She's the one that comes up with the behavior plans and everything. I have been doing one to two time a week Zoom conferences with her because things have been really bad here, which I'm sure we'll get into in a few minutes. So we have been doing that. And once we declined in-home services, they said that they would do Zoom every day from nine to 11. And we tried that the first day and Benji had a major meltdown for five minutes and with no end in sight. So we decided, okay, why don't we do this? We will just every so often have her on Zoom in the background, not saying anything, just Mm. existing. And he still was very, very upset. So we, we couldn't do any school stuff with his school because even though they're luckily not charging us through the preschool, they were still offering 
like live Zoom videos a few a few times every day, and he wouldn't do that. And his school OT tried, and it was a disaster. So we really haven't been able to do anything with him. But I was, I am still able to utilize services from the BCBA, the special teacher, and the school occupational therapist is sending me resources, and I'm doing a face-to-face -face Zoom with her probably once a week, maybe once every other week, and we just started back up with the behavioral psychologist, who'd we, who'd, who we'd only met with twice, just because Benji hadn't slept for seven days straight. Mm. So we, uh, wow. we started up with her. So it's really just me and the professional right now. That's the only thing that's working. Yeah. And Alex doesn't really have any services, and he is perfectly happy to do a Zoom something because it's really fun for him. So, yeah, that's quite that's a difference. Is um, yes, is Benji just does a screen just kind of freak him out, or does it just make him uncomfortable? Do you have any ideas? I I really don't know because he loves watching shows on his tablet, so I don't I don't know. He had for probably two years been doing something like FaceTime with his grandparents whenever we couldn't get to see them, and he loved it. And he would FaceTime with me if I was away for a day or two for a conference, and it was great. And then somewhere around this time when COVID hit, he just stopped. And it actually took him three weeks to be comfortable saying hi to his grandmother <laughs> on FaceTime. So, and she, Alex just kind of carries her around on FaceTime all day <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> he likes her to be in the background. So she's, she's kind of sort of in her home all day, every day. And it took him three weeks of that to be able to say, hi, my mom. So I, I really don't know what it is. And one thing I, I should mention is that three days after school stopped, we moved. <laughs> right. So we moved uh, almost a month ago. And granted, it was only down the street, but this was the first time he remembers actually moving. The poor kid's been in four different houses. But we... <laughs> he saw our stuff being packed up like he wasn't there before or he was like six months old so he didn't ever have to see all of his stuff being packed up and moved which mm -hmm. we did prepare him it's only a mile down the road so we'd taken him to this ha the new house we prepared him we explained it but I think he was very very scared plus he'd heard about the virus and that was scaring him and who are these people and why are we near them? And now all of our stuff's in boxes and the house is a mess and there's no one else helping us. So it was very, very scary to him to have all of this happen at once. Like mm -hmm. his whole world is uprooted. So that's right. kind of what I'm attributing it to, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's a time when I think that, um, you know, so many people are kind of feeling this this uncertainty and the fear and the worry and even if we're not talking about right. it in front of our kids like they can still feel it they know something's going on and so yeah, yeah I think there's a lot of things happening and plus four they're so you know they at, at that age like they're into one thing one day and then the next day it's like no I would <laughs> never you know with this so <laughs> it's probably just yeah. all of it in like the perfect form um, I feel like we're finally getting back to sanity because he always goes by sorry he's in the background um he always goes by different character names from whatever movie he's into but for the last almost month he's gone back to his name 
and that was a sign to me, hmm, something's not right. And then starting yesterday, he went back to being TV characters. And I'm like, oh, I think he might start to be feeling more comfortable with the situation, which makes me really happy. That's how I'm interpreting it. (laughs) That's an interesting observation. I like that. My daughter. Yeah, yeah. My daughter Freya likes to do that too. Like we'll read a book or we'll watch a movie and, and afterwards she'll be like, who do you want to be? You know, or even if I haven't seen it, like she'll, you know, she'll read a book. She's <laughs> like, okay, who do you want to be? Like, we all have to be characters. And I'm like, okay, I'll be, yeah. you know, or she likes to be her friends. <laughs> like she's really into that. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think it's so sweet. It really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's been tough. The aggression has taken an up, uh, an uptick and it's, it's been really tough because historically we've had three to four adults in the house when both kids were here just because of the aggression from Benji Uh but the babysitter she's 18 and her parents don't have feel comfortable having her out of the house which I completely understand and they're very high risk as well so they didn't want her bringing something back heaven forbid we should be carriers and of course we didn't have in-home ABA so it's really just us trying to unpack at the house in gear we're also trying to potty train both kids which is terrible timing but we don't want to backslide for either of them so that's taken an up- uptick and the sensory needs he also has sensory processing disorder so he's been in severe need of more vestibular and proprioceptive input and it took probably a week of us talking with the BCBA to really put something in place first to identify that that's one of the things that was going on and then to identify what do we have in our house that we can actually utilize to make those get those needs met so we're I think we're making really good progress toward that but as I said he you know first he was fine for the first three weeks actually with sleep and then all of a sudden he was scared to be out of our sight for a second and scared of noises and scared of his room and just didn't sleep so it's, it's, it's been tough. And I, I, as I said before we started, I feel like we're finally getting to the point where we've got this. We're, I think we're going to manage. Mm-hmm. Good. So can you <laughs> explain the, the sensory processing a little bit more as far as you said? Um, and there were some big words in there that I'm not going to get, but <laughs> that he kind of <laughs> Sorry. needed. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, Absolutely. So sensory processing disorder, the way I understand it is everyone has sensory needs. We like, you know, the lights to be, we don't like them. Some people don't like them too bright or some people need them very, very dim. Um, Some people like loud sounds or quiet sounds. It's really how we kind of take in our world. And for sensory processing disorder, folks have a different way of processing things like how they're what they taste what they smell how they hear what they're seeing and so for Benji for example he most of the time can't stand loud sounds he kind of turns inward and he gets really quiet he starts stimming like like making those kinds of things to calm himself down Um, or he needs things um, like proprioceptive which is kind of like where your body is in space so he'll need I apologize for any OTs out there I'm probably getting these backwards with what to do but like sometimes he'll need to jump or he'll need to spin in an office chair get tipped upside down and um, actually I think 
that's the vestibular. So vestibular is the thing that keeps us balanced and not dizzy. Mm-hmm. And so for him, he needs a lot more input. So for me, if I sat in an office chair and spun around, I would get very nauseous, but he needs it to feel safe and comfortable. And for the proprioceptive, he likes to jump and jump and jump or like splat into a crash pad or have something really heavy on him, like a weighted blanket or even the crash pad on him to feel kind of grounded and safe. So he's needed a lot more of that input that he was okay with not having before. But now we really need to spend a lot of our day instead of on education, we need to spend it on giving him that input like all those sensory things so like squishy balls or kinetic sand we have a ball pit um like squishy pillows anything like that that he could really just manipulate and feel and kind of feel safe okay all right well thank you for explaining that yeah um (laughs) (laughs) yeah i guess i never i never totally understood (laughs) that but so so you have had to because because uh, his anxiety is up and things have changed or because yeah. he's not going to his therapies, but so you've had to, to really find ways Probably in your, both. <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah. So you've had to find ways in your home that you can help him input these sensory experiences, right? Is that? Yes, or, exactly. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. um, okay. So your suggestions, if anybody else is out there, you know, struggling with this, the the computer chair, spinning in the computer chair, the ball pit, squishy oh, things. I've got lots of suggestions. Yeah, anything that has different and unusual textures. Um, the OT even recommended like crunchy foods because he tends to chew on our hair, which you know we we like to keep our hair. Right. So <laughs> crunchy foods. Um, sometimes they like really jarring, like sour or spicy taste sometimes they want food really bland it really depends on the kids some people some kids need a lot less stimulation like lower lights quieter things some kids need it really bright so it really depends on your kid there are some websites out there and you can just google really any of them to like sensory processing disorder checklist or symptoms and you can look and just it explains you know this if this if your child acts this way they probably need this if your child acts this way they probably need that and that's really what i did in the last week to figure out okay where does he need what and then i sent that to the ot and she said okay do all this stuff one thing i would strongly recommend if you have the money and the space is a crash pad because my child really loves splatting Mm -hmm. And it's just not safe anywhere in our house. And the bed is too high. So this crash pad, I got it for a little over $100 on Amazon. It's a five foot by five foot pad with just, it's it's like a, it's filled with a bunch of foam blocks. And he can just jump and jump and jump and jump and just run into it and splat. And if he needs more like pressure, he can hide under it. And get that extra pressure of like 15 pounds and it has made all the difference in the world for us having that crash pad wow. and it also gets their energy out which is nice <laughs> it sounds amazing and when you had described like splatting into it i was like wow i could do that yeah <laughs> and it's so comfortable it's and it's big and it's comfortable so like we can all hang out on it mm-hmm. so it's kind of like the upgrade to a beanbag chair 
Nice. Nice. Okay. Good to know. Thank you. Um, yeah. So have you, have you talked to your kids specifically about COVID and what's happening? They're a little young yet. So I don't know how you've approached that. We did that. talk to Benji because, yeah, we did talk to Benji because he had no idea what was going on and it was making him very anxious. Mm-hmm. So do you want me to go into more specifics? I mean, yeah, well, just, yeah. How did you, how did you explain it? Sure. Yeah. So I initially told him this was a little bit before school closed. I said that there was a new cold going around that people were very nervous about and people just didn't want to get it. So what we're doing is we're trying to stay away from people who don't live in our house just to be safe, to make sure they're safe and make sure we're safe. We're going to wash our hands really well, try not to touch our faces. And if we have to go, we're going to try not to go out places other than outside. And if we go to other places, just to be on the safe side, make sure everybody is safe and healthy. We put on gloves and masks. So if you see that, it's not, we're not trying to be scary. We're just trying to keep everybody safe. And it worked for a little while until he didn't want to go outside all of a sudden. And about a week later, we realized he thought when I say a cold, he thought it meant the temperature outside. And oh. it's, we're in Maryland and it's chilly. Yeah, so we had to explain <laughs> that it wasn't the temperature. Outside was completely safe. You know, hold hands, don't run in the street, of course, but outside was completely safe. You know, if we get to if, if people are coming our way, go to the other side, but th- it's not the temperature. The temperature is just fine. <laughs> it's totally fine. And that it was, it was like a, a virus, like a cold or a flu, but it wasn't quite that. It was new. So people were worried about it and we're just trying to stay safe. And then we were doing, once he finally was finally comfortable with uh, Zoom or something like that, we got some of my husband's family on the on the phone and he he was okay with them being there but didn't want to participate and then he asked oh is uncle so-and-so does he have the cold and I'm like oh no he thinks that our family's getting it so I explain no you know our family's not getting our family doesn't have it but we're all trying to stay safe and that's why we're not seeing each other in person we're just doing it over the phone and so he knew like when my parents came to drop things off that they would stay we would talk to them through the glass door but they wouldn't come in or if we went over to their house they would stay like 15 feet up on the deck and watch us and we'd just be in their backyard so we wouldn't be too close but we could see them but, and oh, we would all stay safe and again I said to him we don't have it but we still want to stay safe and healthy and this is the smart thing to do so we're still you know we're still all okay but we're just you know just playing it safe and I, I feel like he understood enough of that and we try to like every couple of days just reassure him and let him know that we're safe and we're okay but he still does have anxiety about it yeah yeah Yeah, I don't know go ahead oh I was saying it's hard to know at that age you know how much they understand and what they need to hear and what they want to hear right but you can only do the best you can do (laughs) right yeah, well, um, you know, Freya, she's eight, and uh, Rona is, her little sister is seven, and then I have a 15-year-old, but, you know, Rona was, the, the little one was the one who was, seemed more anxious about it. She kept asking me about mm-hmm. it, and um, <clears throat> so I realized, like, kids, it's interesting, because, you know, when your kids are in school, you get 
like I was getting information from her that she was obviously hearing from other kids whose parents were talking to them about different aspects of it. And, you know, some of it was a little more alarming than what I would have shared with my children. (laughs) So I just said, you girls, you're, you're young, you're strong, you're healthy. I'm going to take care of you. You'll be fine. So yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting those conversations sometimes because you got to say something they got to understand you know they got they know something's going on so you got to explain something but yeah how much and and what are they taking in and yeah um and I felt really bad because he said that he really missed his friends mm -hmm. and but he wasn't willing to do any of the zoom things so I'm like I, I don't know what else to tell you they can't come over you can't go see them but they can be on the computer but that still startled him too much. So we didn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. We've tried to do some of the zoom classroom stuff and it's all right. It's cool to, to stay connected, but um, yeah, yeah, it's just not the same. And then, you know, unless there's like a a really strong moderator, it tends to be like, you know, the louder kids or the kids who know how to work the computer who can change (laughs) the background. And, you know, so then it's like the quieter kids get a little, you know, they're just kind of watching the whole thing. So, um, yeah, a lot of time with Alex, I just hopped off and I asked any of his friends, Hey, do you want to just do a quick FaceTime? And it was just easier that way. We do mm-hmm. like three minutes and then go to the next friend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just a little one-on-one time. I think that's good. Yeah. yeah. So you said you are a clinical neuropsychologist. Um, yes which I'm not exactly, I mean, I have an idea what that means, but <laughs> how? Nobody knows what I do. <laughs> do you mind explaining it a little bit? Or, I mean, is it relevant at all? I will. Okay. Sure. Yeah, uh, it, it can be. So I work with adults, but there are folks who work with kids. So we do testing and diagnosis of brain stuff, I will say. So it could be looking at intellectual disabilities or learning disabilities or, you know, if a child unfortunately had cancer or some other sort of medical condition, like sometimes sickle cell anemia, um, if they had a stroke, anything like that, we do testing or traumatic brain injury. We do testing to see what, what exactly might've happened in the brain and then how is it affecting them thinking-wise? So we look at things like memory, attention, language, thinking speed, critical thinking types of things, a little bit with fine motor, a little bit with vision, um, probably some other things I'm forgetting at the moment. But we just we do um, pencil, paper, question, answer, puzzle-type tests to see what's going on. And then we put together a treatment plan of, okay, this is what we think would be most helpful to get you either back where you were or on track to where you want to go. So I do the same thing with adults, um, whether they have a movement disorder like Huntington's disease or Parkinson's, they could be worried about having dementia or already have dementia, but want to find out, you know, where they are in the stages and what to do from there. People who've had strokes, head injuries, epilepsy, really anything um, to see what we can do to help. So I really, really love it. And it's where I feel most useful in my profession because then we can give them some information and clarity and just kind of closure on, okay, I don't have to worry anymore. I know I know what's going on and I know what to do. 
Are you, so are you able to work from home during this? Are you having to? (laughs) The professional answer is yes. Um, Right now, they're still, my company is still working out how to do it via telehealth because there are a lot of things that wouldn't be accurate if we did over the computer and some things that we have to do like hands-on with them. So we're still trying to figure out the best way to do it to get the most information. Um, The other side of it is it is impossible right now to work from home with the two kids. Right. Um, it's, it's just not safe. We're still not unpacked. It, they typically, I'm lucky that they're not on the computer, like jumping on it right now, because whenever I go toward the computer, they start poking and touching stuff. So <laughs> I, I'm, I mean, I don't know how long this will last. So very likely it will have to be something I'm doing mm-hmm. because I, I don't feel comfortable right now going in, in the hospital. So I work, I do outpatient testing, like I mentioned, but I also see patients who are in the hospital, mm-hmm. but there are so many uh, COVID positive patients there that I just don't feel comfortable right now because my family lives by Murphy's law. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Mm-hmm. So if I go there, I guarantee you I will get it. <laughs> it's a hundred percent guarantee. That's so I would have to do, right. So eventually I will have to do things from home once we get things figured out a little bit better because a lot of my colleagues, they do more psychotherapy or a little bit more treatment, which I can do, but we still just have to get me set up. So I will end up having to do it from home just right now. I, I'm not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Which is yeah. nice. I, you know, I was having to do so many things with work and also with therapies that I felt like I hadn't really been seeing the kids. So it's actually really nice, even though it's been stressful to actually spend quality time with them. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Has, did your, did, did your education in neuropsychology help you at all with your, when, with your kids? Like, do you feel like you're, you're a little more prepared? Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. So I'll, I'll take a step back. So Nobody, so I saw all of the signs from the beginning with both kids. Um, from probably a couple months old with Benji, I, I, no, I just noticed these things that I would have expected developmentally would have been happening but weren't. And the doctors were always like, oh, he's fine, oh, he's fine. And one doctor actually, you know, once he gave eye contact and was really sweet, he's like, oh, you don't have autism, do you? And oh like she literally said that in that voice. <gasps> wow. So, <laughs> so, I'm like, okay, well, I guess they're right. But I saw the signs. I knew what I was looking at. And it took three years to get somebody to actually do the testing and say, oh, hey, actually, you're right. And same thing with Alex. It took about six months for them to actually listen. So I knew from the time he was born, like, I saw the tongue tie. I noticed the things that were delayed and everyone's like oh well you know everyone has to be on the lower end of the bell curve or oh it's probably fine oh that I'm like will you just listen and they're like well he's he's catching up eventually like but but he's still delayed can you take a full comprehensive look and when they did the doctor's like oh you're right he likely had a perinatal stroke I'm like I know I work with stroke patients every single day I know what I'm looking at (laughs) 
So yeah, I knew what to look for and I was able to pick it up pretty quickly and I knew what therapies were appropriate and how to find them and to make sure that I was advocating for the right things for the kids. So I absolutely think it was helpful. Mm -hmm. Oh, good. Yeah. So... (laughs) Well, so now is a good time, I think, to get into your podcast, right? We want to let people know yeah. that you have your own podcast, and because uh, it's the same audience, like you know, like people um, mm-hmm. that are listening to this will definitely want to check yours out. It's called Thriving in the yeah. Midst of Chaos. So, how long have you been doing that, and what inspired you to get that started? Yeah, so I've been doing that since I want to say. September of last year, I think. And today marks the, sorry, they're making pig noises in the background. Um, (laughs) Today marks the 31st episode that we have out. And right now I have 48 recorded. So we're doing, we've got momentum. And it's uh, for any parent or family member of a person who has special needs uh, of any type. And we initially, the first, I think, 15 episodes were me and my husband talking about just every aspect of life as a special needs parent, just the raw, honest, hopefully humorous experience. Mm-hmm. And then we started interviewing other parents about their experiences and something, some special needs specific topic. And I had you on a little bit ago, which was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And you talked about writing and how helpful that is with, you know, just writing your journey and getting your experiences out. It's very, very powerful and moving. And I've also had some professionals on those episodes actually should be airing in a week or two um, to talk about things like transition to adulthood or finding services or managing behaviors. And what I'm really excited about is financial stuff related to um, social security or able accounts or anything about finding the money to help your child. Mm -hmm. So I'm really, really excited about this podcast because I feel like it's giving support to people, giving them hope and also providing them with the most useful resources that we found. And I originally, you know, when, when Benji was born, I started listening to podcasts pretty uh, seriously before I really hadn't. And about three years in, I'm like, you know, I want to start a podcast, but I have no idea what I want to do with it. And then I got the idea, like, I started to not be able to identify with other mommy podcasts because they just weren't living my life. And there was really nothing that I could find that was just the raw, open, honest experiences, but also giving some coping skills. A lot of it was either specifically geared toward religion or it was everything's fine. And I'm like, but everything's not (laughs) fine. And if you don't show that side as well, like we're not meant to be, our podcast is not meant to be complaining, but if you don't show that there is a rough side to it, people think they're all alone and that there's Mm -hmm. something wrong with them or they're doing something wrong. And that is absolutely not the case. So our goal is really to show that you are not alone. You do have the support. It's okay. It is really hard. And here are some nuggets of wisdom and resources to help get you through. So that's really what motivated me to start it. Yeah. I love it. Are you still, so you're still enjoying it? And um, I mean, you come out every week. I, right? Yep. Yeah. Yes. I think, um, yeah. I still, I still really love it. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work. 
<laughs> to come out every week. <laughs> it is. Yeah, especially since I overcommit myself and have do- been doing like three interviews a week for a once a week show. But mm-hmm. I love it. And one thing that I've selfishly found is that I've gained a lot of friends yeah. from it and a lot of support. So it's not just, okay, you know, I do this podcast and then I never talk to these people again. You know, these people have really become, a lot of them have become friends and allies and advocates and, and I, I, I provide the same. So it's, it's been, you know, selfishly really fun and helpful for me as well. And hopefully to the people who were listening. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I had, um, I've had a couple of people reach out to me recently that were on the podcast. Um, some of them, yeah, we still keep in touch. And so I got yeah. kind of when this all started happening, I got these emails. Are you okay? How's your family? And yeah, Aww. it's it's really beautiful to make these connections this way. And um, so I really, I really enjoy that about the podcast. I only come out every two weeks um, usually. Okay. And then uh, actually I've been coming, this is, this will be like my first episode since the whole um, COVID thing really. Yeah. Just, uh, just been trying to like get my grounding, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. <laughs> also just feeling like I just didn't have any, I don't know. Well, there's, there's so many reasons. One of it is that I don't have uh, a lot of time to myself. So, and <laughs> I actually, I set an alarm every morning so that I can get up and write because otherwise I would have no quiet time to right. write. So I have to get up before mm-hmm. the sun comes up and drink my coffee and and right yikes <laughs> so, ouch but, yeah but um yeah so yeah I think your podcast is great I love that it's out there and I hope people check it out thriving in the midst of chaos and that's on probably any podcast player mm-hmm. right yeah. yep yep and we're on all social media uh our handle is midst of chaos pod and the specific link is fubarpod, F-U-B-A-R-P-O-D dot Libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. But yeah, you can just type in the name and probably find it everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. Um, yeah. is, there, is there anything that you would like to say before we get off of here? Any maybe words of wisdom for this time or, um, or like a anything to share? Yeah, I would say, you know, typically my thing to share is just be your child's best advocate. Keep standing up for what you think is right for your child and just keep finding resources until you get what the right thing is for your child. But right now, I what I've learned through this is that the most important thing is to just really be with your child, to try to be mindful and aware of what their needs are, meet them as best you can, but be there for comfort for your kids because they're just as scared as you are of everything that's going on. And I found that, you know, doing, trying to do homework and this and that, it's all well and good, but really being with your child and being there to give them what they need is a little bit more important in my Mm -hmm. opinion, but to also be gentle with yourself because it is so hard and it's not going to be perfect and it's okay. And you'll get frustrated and it's okay. And that you're really truly doing the best you can. And the best you can is perfect. Mm 